I was done. Like, I can't even tell you the level of despair. Like right now, like my whole chest kind of crushes in. Like I was just done. I was like, I've hustled my whole damn life. And here I am. And now it's gone. It's gone. Everything's gone. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to those of you who've been with us for a while. Thank you, as always, for being here. And to those of you who have never listened to 10,000 No's, shame on you. I'm kidding. Welcome. You picked a great one to start with. I'm going to give you the bling because I know that's what some of you use to decide if you want to spend an hour of your life listening to a conversation. And then after I've given you the bling, I'm going to tell you why you really need to listen today. Here's the bling. Susie Batiste has recently been named one of Conscious Company's world-changing women, featured on Leaders Create Leaders, Almost 30, and Modern Hero podcasts. She has given presentations for Conscious Capitalism, HustleCon and the InGoop Health Summit. Her company, Poopery, is valued upwards of $500 million, and she created it after being bankrupt for the second time with no money, no loans, but a lot of confidence and intuition that she finally had something valuable to give the world. Just one of the YouTube versions of her Poopery commercial that I happen to watch had 41 million views at the time of this recording. But... That's not why you need to listen. You should listen because this woman is the real deal. I had such a good time sitting down with her and just rapping about life. Yes, we hit a lot of the milestones, but it was her openness, her energy, her ability to let the rest of us know that, yes, it's difficult to strike gold on that level, but it's possible. And more important, striking gold is actually not the end-all be-all, being happy is I am honored to give you Susie Batiste. The spoken word that you did. Yes. I I absolutely loved it because when you start to research you, you've really, I mean, it, it's incredible what you've mm-hmm. done. So then to go see you be vulnerable enough and bold enough to get up on a stage. And what was that? That was HustleCon? HustleCon, yeah. Which I didn't know what that was, but it looks like a big deal. Yeah. And you got up there and did this spoken word that was entitled, was it uh, I'm the shit or something? It was, it's an incredible. What did I title it? It's. Alive as shit, maybe? Alive as shit. Alive as shit. Yeah, and, I think that's And it, it was so disarming. Holy and shit. That's what I titled holy it. Holy shit. shit. Yeah. And it's so dis, it's so disarming, but it's so truthful. It kind of gets your story across. I'm going to put it in the show notes so people can can just hear it for themselves oh, or, or actually see it for themselves. Um, but what I what I loved about it is just it's just your heart is out on your sleeve and you're kind of 
you know, I don't know you, but it seems like from everything I've, I've seen of you, it's like you are who you are. Yeah. And that's part of your story is that is getting to that point of realizing, OK, that's enough. And it seems like that's when things maybe clicked. Yeah, it did. That was a four hour sweaty download. You know, I don't know if you've had those like the passionate, like I just, I was sitting there one day and I realized like, oh shit is the throughput of my life. Like I've been through shit. I sell a shit spray. Right? It's like, there's a theme here. And it literally just came out of me. It was radical. I don't consider myself a writer. And um, yeah, to memorize it, that was hard. I don't know how you guys do it. It was nine yeah. minutes. That, it was long. I mean, I, was I thinking, didn't well, think I, was I could like, memorize that. Wow, I wonder that. how long you had to prepare that because it was really well done. Yeah. Well, you saw my paper in my hand. I oh, thinking. I didn't even see. I didn't see you looking down at it. I didn't though. look down at it, but I had it there just I in was case. As, as a performer, um, I'm going to turn this down because I have a feeling we're yeah. going to get we're going to get loud yeah, I with each other. I just saw us go way up. Okay. Um, <laughs> But I, as a performer, I was thinking like, man, she's she's up there just she's doing it. And mm. it was really it was sincere. And it was also there was a meter to it. Um, but but most important was really the message behind it. And it I, I think it's even inspiring just the way I want to conduct this particular conversation with you, which is, you know, you said at some point you are the shit. Yes. And and you yeah, are the shit. Exactly. Yeah. And and as you're as I was watching it, I feel like, oh, she's talking to me. And it's like, what is your your message of of kind of following the intuition? And and my personal intuition is like, you know, people have a lot of in, uh, opinions about how to conduct these and do they flow? I like when it flows. I just want to yes. sit here and talk to you and we'll get to some of the timeline. We'll put a bunch of stuff in the in the show notes and people can go and see where things happen. But I'm really interested in picking your brain because you have a fascinating take on everything. Wow. Awesome. How about you pick my heart? Even better. Yeah. And that, and <laughs> my brain can get kind of crazy <laughs> in there. <laughs> well, so, okay. So why don't, why don't we go back then to, uh, we're going to get to the incredible company and, you know, I don't know, the, the figure that I saw was worth $500 million or something, whatever it is, yeah. it's doing okay. Yeah, it's doing pretty so, good. <laughs> so I want to go back to where you came from in Arkansas mm. and um, w a little bit of what your upbringing was like, because it sounds like you you went through a lot. Yeah. Um, you talk about, and I don't know, you know, if there's anything off limits, we, we can- There's nothing off limits. Okay. Well- <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, just growing up, first of all, uh, in, in poverty, I mean, mm -hmm. what what level of poverty was it? Was it were, was it food stamps? Was it just uh, yeah, probably early on. So um, my parents were divorced. My biological parents when I was ten, and my dad was a bipolar alcoholic, and my mom was depressed on pain pills. So money just wasn't readily available. We were always kind of scraping by. My dad was, it was interesting because my parents, I think why I'm so passionate about people following their passion is because my mom was an artist and my dad was a musician who then get pregnant at 18, have this baby and both give up both of their, you know, their dreams so that they could raise this child. And they struggled a lot, you know, especially with their 
uh, mental illness and just my first memory was cooking for my parents at four years old, like at a stove cooking four years old Four, yeah, because somebody had to cook. Right. It's like nobody's going to take care of anybody in this house. Like I've got to try to who knows, you know, what version of reality. But with my dad being bipolar, like my whole childhood was chaotic. You never know what's going to happen with a bipolar person. It's like they you know, he lived mostly in mania. So that's probably where I get my all outness. You know, it's like, let's just go because that's what I was raised with. You know, it's like these grandiose ideas we would chase and they never made money. He just couldn't keep a job. He wasn't functioning. He wasn't a a functioning bipolar person. He really should have been, you know, medicated um, a lot. (laughs) At that point, my mom was over medicated. So her her strategy was just tap out. Yeah. Yeah, So that was the beginning of my life. And um and we were poor. I mean, I made things, you know, we didn't go and buy toys. You know, I always say I'm a creator because I, you know, I, I had a Barbie, but I made all of her clothes, you right. know, so I, anything I needed, I just made. So for me, it's like, oh, if you have an idea, you can make it. That's what I grew up with. I, it wasn't, I grew up to buy it. So I became kind of resourceful in a way, yeah. which I think was a huge blessing in my life now, of course, making things, you know, I'm like, oh, just make it. Come on. This is what you do. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, yeah. I've heard you say that that being an entrepreneur is problem solving over and over and the more successful the bigger the hurdles and and it's as though you were being trained for this from age four really yeah you think about it you had to be resourceful or you didn't have entertainment exactly you know know, and we had my granny had a garden and we had lots of vegetables but to me it was really incredible because we had enough food um you know we would can things so then in the winter we had food but there was a lot of planning and resourcefulness so um but what i loved about that that there was a lot of community in that too because you know you have too many tomatoes so you share with the neighbors you know um i actually pitched a idea to um what's his name whole foods i just met him not long ago anyway I pitched a, um, an idea to him like 25 years ago to have this food basket service. I'm like, I don't understand why produce, like, why do you have strawberries all year long? Right? Anyway, and he goes, okay, bring me that idea. But back then I couldn't flush it all out. But anyway, got off on a tangent. But um, so food was just, it was one of those things that we always had enough food. But again, we made it ourselves, right? We grew it. My uncles hunted, you know, there were deer. I've been vegetarian most of my life because I saw deers being, you know, murdered in the backyard and, you know, right. fish and squirrels and skin being ripped off. And you're right. like, this is gross. Yeah. <laughs> they have a name. <laughs> they have a name. Yeah. And I really didn't know that I was poor until about third grade. And I remember someone saying something because all my clothes were made. Again, that's the way we lived. Right. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's when I started realizing like something's wrong. I'm not like everybody else. You know, like I don't have money. Like who knew? Um so, yeah, it was I, I believe it was a blessing, but it was pretty traumatizing in third grade. It was yeah. like I wasn't cool anymore. You know, you don't know that you're not cool. And then yeah. all of a sudden you realize, oh, shit, I'm really not cool, yeah. which created a lot of problems. Well, how did you um, and how did you kind of deal with that? Like that uh, kind of like the crashing in of the reality of people's opinions of you? I went completely inside, yeah. completely inside. And then my parents were divorced when I was 10. And then my mom met this guy that I knew I didn't like, but really, honestly, I sold out because she asked me what I thought about him. And I knew that I was going to have to take care of her. So it was like better for her to 
you know, be with someone that even though I didn't like them and he ended up, he molested my sister and I. So, yeah. So, and that happened, you know, but what happened is that became just further and further inside, right? It's just like, I just kept coming back into myself. Yeah. Like, How old were you when this was uh, 12. 12 just for like that one year or did it go Oh, no. Um, Until I was probably 16. Yeah. Yeah. And then it came out. And the the worst thing is that my mom, after my dad was very psychic. um, So the interesting thing, he was bipolar, but also very tapped in. And he called me one day and said, I had a dream that you and your sister were in a man's hands. What, what's going on? And I said, nothing. And anyway, he persisted. He said, no, I know something's happening. Let me know. And I told him, but my mom ended up staying with my stepdad until she died. I know. Wow. So I had to get out of the house. So I was married. I was, um, how long was that after she found out about all this? She was with him like, like 20 more years or something like 30, 40, 40. Let's see. I was 16 and she died like four years ago. How did she react when you called him out or did you not call him out? I did call him out and she said it happened to me too. And that was it? That was it. Like as if that is enough, you know? And nothing ever, no repercussions for this guy? No repercussions for this guy. And (sighs) what was amazing, it was such a huge betrayal. That's when I really realized, I mean, I knew at four that I had to take care of myself. That's when I really knew, oh, I get a little teary with this. It's like, I develop this, like, I can't trust anyone and I've got to take care of myself. Right. There's just not anyone here to help me. So here we go. So I was engaged at 18 to get out of the house. Right. That was my strategy to get out of the house. I couldn't figure out how to get out of the house. And so I got married when I was 19. I was I, I bought a bridal salon. I convinced my um, my husband at the time to buy this bridal salon. I was divorced. At, I mean, uh, bankrupt at 20 and divorced. So it lasted a year. <laughs> so my first business, I always say it's like those rodeo riders that when you go out and, you know, they open the gate and then they just fall down and you're like, get any ride. Yeah, like that was yeah. me. So then um, I was in a like a shithole. I was in a hellhole. I was divorced, bankrupt at 20 years old. I had just been molested. My mother's with my stepdad who molested me. My dad's crazy off living by himself. I just felt isolated alone. So I tried to kill myself when I was 21. And it was just like, I just couldn't see any other options. And really, I get teary thinking about it right now because when I tuned in, it was like, this life is horrible. Like, who wants to even be here? Like, I didn't want to, because the whole, my whole life was just hard. Yeah. And it was like, I, I can't, you know, I, I, I really can't be here anymore. And, and so, did you, uh, I mean, looking back on it, because it was a failed attempt, do you feel like there was some part of you that didn't want to and almost wanted people to know so you could get help like subconsciously or, or did you really think like, no, I'm, I'm all in and, and something went wrong that, that it didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. Most people don't ask me that. I'm I'm glad you did. Um, I remember standing in the bathroom mirror watching myself. All I had was a bottle of Tylenol, right? And I I remembered seeing my mom take pills through her whole life, right? So that was, I think, the coping mechanism I learned is you just take a pill and it's going to go away. So I remember looking in the bathroom mirror and also having like 
a weird myself observing myself doing this, like an almost an out of body experience. And I literally just took an entire bottle of Tylenol. And about two hours later, I just realized what I'd done. And I called my sister and I said, I just took a bottle of Tylenol. So she rushed me to the hospital and it ends up the acetaminophen level was over a hundred times what your body can handle. So they said in 72 hours, it affects your liver that either I was going, the antidote was going to work and I was going to live or I was going to die. And it literally was that they had no idea. So, um, I didn't understand why everybody's crying and they're all upset. I'm like, dude, I'm here. Like, come on. You know, right. it didn't work. You didn't realize the stakes were still. No, not yeah. at all. And not until like a couple of years later, my sister told me. So anyway, then I just start tracking on with my life. I had met this guy, um, ended up living with him, um, got pregnant at 23. And that for the first time in my life was it, having a child gave me something beyond myself to care about. And I believe that's what actually me choosing to have a child is what's kept me here. Is what saved you. Yeah. But hang on I a second. Be let's go, let's go back. Cause Ooh, I'm interested like in like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested in like, so you, you go through this thing, you take the bottle of pills, you realize that you call your sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't realize that you're still in danger at the hospital, but you were, you get cleared, you come out of the hospital. What, if anything, clicked in your mind? Did something shift? So now you weren't thinking, I want out of here? Because you're, the way you're saying it now, it's like it wasn't until you had a child yeah. that, that, that you were saved. But I'm thinking it must have been something before that to even get you to the point where you had the option of having a child. Like did something, did, did any, did any dime drop for you or did some kind of thought process change for you? No, it was more like, man, I just felt at that too. Okay. Buckle, buckle up and let's go. Like, I'm just going to continue going on at life. It was really, I don't remember any process other than, well, that didn't work. Okay. And, you know, here's this guy and it's like, okay, I'll go do that. I'll go live with him. And so I literally, I tell people that the beginning part of my life, the first 38 years, especially those first 28, were like, um, have you ever been skiing on the top of a mountain? <laughs> have you seen the person lose a ski <laughs> and they fall? Yeah. And like, you can't quite get your step, right? Yeah. And you just are in this tumble. And that's what it was from my early childhood. It's like- All the way till 38. Oh, Yeah. Like, it's literally like I was just trying to get my ski on and try to get some grasp of something, like just this desperate survival trying to grasp. And it was really like there, I was not even conscious enough to go, oh, that didn't work. What do I do now? It was literally like, oh, hold on. that I, I can live with this guy. This is going to work. Right, right. Right. It's like holding on to another life yeah, raft. Another life raft. I love yeah. this. It's like another life raft. Like, okay, come on. Okay, here we go. Let, let's go now. So how'd and, that go? You have that. You have a child. Well, even before I had the child, um, um, I was pregnant and it was the first time he hit me. He kicked me and broke my tailbone. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Like I'm in trouble. And somehow I really loved him. I was in love. So I got in this whole dysfunctional kind of a, it was a four-year relationship of really 
really severe abuse. I was telling um, some of my team about it last night to the point where like he would line AR-15s, he collected them, he would line them up on the bathroom while me and the kids hid in the closet. You know, I had pool sticks broke over my back when I was pregnant with my second child and like my head like dunked down into, you know, just to in in the tub and out out in a ditch. Like it was literally such really intense psychological and physical abuse. But what was so fascinating, Matthew, is that I believed that I was the problem. Right. Like, because he had totally convinced me. And you have to think, like, I was just such a troubled, you know, I just didn't know which way is up. I was like a spinning top. And he was like, and I really thought I was the problem. And I thought if I can fix myself, then somehow I'm going to be able to to fix this, right? He's going to stop hitting me. And I stayed because he didn't hurt my children. See, I loved him. He He never, never, well, he never physically hurt the children. What I didn't realize is, of course, the, I mean, can you imagine the psychological impact? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. They're still working through it and they will. Um, I mean, I'm fat, you know, I, I know, I knew the tip of the iceberg with that because of the, the spoken word and other things that I've read. But to hear it from you and to hear what actually happened and to think that that is happening right now somewhere mm-hmm. all over the world, it's crazy to me. And it's, it's, just, it's so disheartening. And then, and then on the flip side, it's, it's so uh, amazing to me that you are standing and for sitting in front of me mm-hmm. right now and you've done the things you've done and that you've been able to come out of that because – it's incredible, the abuse, and then on top of the other, and then I know there's more coming, you know, but. Yeah, and Ooh. and I, it's, it, it's intense, and to think that someone is in that, and it's really a psychological state, you know, to even allow for that to happen to yourself. You know, yeah. you have to, um, uh, I was, we were talking earlier about another podcast I was on and created some controversy in the world because I talked about my freedom came when I started claiming that I wasn't a victim because that's a very big victim story, right? Yeah. It's like you could say, oh my God, she's a survivor. Right. But what really happened was that I didn't know how to say no. And I didn't know that I was valuable in the world, right? Or worthy. So because of my low self-esteem and because of everything I'd been through as a child, for someone to hit me and then tell me it was my fault, I believed it, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead of just me able to go, not the whole, what? No, no. So I never said no. And anyway, we can get to that later, but that's where I started getting back some power in my life. Then I just thought it was all my fault. I thought if I can fix myself, then I can make this marriage work, right? I'm doing something wrong. And um, this circumstance of events happened that I was telling them last night can be a whole six season series in Netflix um, that I had to get out. So I did a whole sleeping with the enemy move to move to another state so I could have my children. And it was really incredibly um, dramatic and incredible. And when I was telling them, I go, I was 25 years old. Wow. Doing and, you this. Were, and you were with him acting a certain way and plotting an escape. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he had he had gotten arrested and I was hiring drug attorneys. I mean, it's there's a lot of drama in here that we could go on for another two hours about. 
um, that's really a fascinating story. But um, when I and I forget, like I was young, man, I was 26. And, yeah. and one of my girls, one of my team members goes, I was doing shots at 25. I know. <laughs> like, I'm in the bar. Trust me, I sit down with people every week for this podcast and I walk away like, man, what was I doing at that time? When I start going through their timeline, I'm like, God, I, I thought I did a lot, but no, not really. Yeah. I mean, what you put up with, and we're, we're only in the mid twenties right now. Yeah. Um, so I was just, I really, I was just surviving, man. I was just like going from one thing to the next to the next. I never had a stopping point. So then I get out of that abusive marriage I'm ended up, I'm homeless with two kids. There was this guy that worked at the mall, super cute guy, you know, because uh, remember I had this whole plan. I'd, I was living in Memphis for six months so I could get a divorce so I could keep my children because I couldn't get them in the state because they were wealthy that we lived in. And, um, and I said, I need help. And he said, let's move in together. I said, yeah, great idea, right? Uh-oh. Did you go from frying pan into the fire again? <laughs> No, he actually was amazing. I had prayed for an angel and I said, I just need, I need help. Like I need an angel. I knew I wasn't going to kill myself because I had two kids, yeah. um, but I knew I was in trouble. So um, he's a really great guy. And we were together 26 years. We've only been apart four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's really an incredible, incredible guy. Um, and we stayed together and we had a daughter. But what was fun about our, he was, um, he was a heavy metal drummer. When I met him, you know, he was poor. I was like, this is great. His drums are in the back of the station wagon. I can't be controlled by money. This is awesome, right? Yeah. Like, let's do this thing, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't want anything to do with money anymore. Like, you yeah. know, because I was so controlled by it. Um, and, uh, you know, our first business, it's kind of funny. But I was always just a hustler, man. It's like, I got to make shit work. So um, I had this brochure because I'd had a clothing salon in the abusive marriage. I had bridal salons, tanning salons, clothing salons. Like I was going, I built sewing factories from the ground up. Like I was just like running. Okay. It's like, yeah. just keep running, man. And I had this lingerie, um, like, you know, uh, source. And I said, I have this idea. You go into strip clubs and sell these women lingerie, right? And it's cash. Like I can mark this stuff up like eight times. So he'd come home with like 600 bucks. Okay. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and he comes home one day, we did this for like two or three months. He comes home one day and he says, we're, I'm getting out of the business. I said, why? Like we're making all this money. And he said, because I'm at home with the kids, right? I'm sending him out. And he says, because the owner of the club called me over and said he wants a cut and he only had three fingers. Like he took his fingers and cut off. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, damn, that business is done. Yeah. So it was literally, I just went like business after business after business. Just I would have a job and then I would have a side hustle. And I, I kept in, I had three kids. You know, we ended up having another child and um we weren't poor and we weren't rich, okay? Yeah. But we just, like, I barely made things work. Yeah. You know, I wanted a great life for my children, and I thought that was through something financial. Yeah. So I was just a hustler. You know, I always had a side gig, you know, a million businesses. None of them ever worked out. We do need to make a list of all these someday. Anyway. Yeah. Well, just, I, I love that because I know in my business, you know, you do something and everybody says, 
you're an overnight success and you've been doing, you're like, really? It's been a couple of decades now. And I know I've heard you say that and to hear it now, all of these businesses just over and over and over. And then to even hear you cooking at age four, you're like, you know, that was its own little personal business in a way, you know, and the, and the clothes, the, 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 the dolls clothes when they were, you know, when you were a kid, it's Mm -hmm. like, you've been doing this, you know, and it looks, it looks really sexy on the outside. Oh, wow. $500 million company, whatever it it is. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) How'd you get there? What'd you have to go through to get to the point to even be in the game to do that? So I I really thank you for being so open about this and, Mm. and and letting us in because that's the whole point of the show is like, let's look behind the curtain and see what it really, what it really takes, you know? Yeah. Um, So sorry. Yeah. Yeah, So that's what I did. So I was always had a side hustle and idea like um, my ex-husband at the time, I mean, you know, my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time got good at websites because I would say, I have an idea, build a website, right? So we'd build a website and, you know, I would try to sell something and it wouldn't work. Like it just nothing ever really took off. And I was a vice president of a recruiting firm. And I had this was in, I think, 99. And I said, oh my gosh, you know what's important? A person's culture matched to a company's culture. This is what we, this is what needs to happen first before any kind of technical skill match, right? right? Because back then, I think I was working for technical careers. It was matched the, you know, technician, technical skills with the company skills. And I was like, oh my God, culture. So I started this, um, I had this idea for a platform and a recruiting platform called Greener Grass. And I had psychologists on board and I had all these people and I was getting $5 million in funding. I had leveraged everything we had, you know, I, we had the the big house and the Mercedes and the Range Rover because I was making like two hundred grand a year, more money I'd ever made in my whole life. Because right. I was a good salesperson, I was a hustler, right? Yeah, like I can sell. Yeah, so I was selling, man. So we were doing great. So then I'm like, oh, how old are you at this point? I'm 38. Okay. okay. So then I'm like, this is this is the big one. This idea is it. Like I got it. So we put I put everything into it. Go and then all of a sudden the stock market. I'm in the final stages of getting this funding and the stock market crashes and everything got pulled away. That, you know, of course, the the uh, the firm, you know, the um, VC firm pulls out and every everything crashed them. That was in 2001. Um, and I was done. Like, I can't even tell you the level of despair. Like right now, like my whole chest kind of crushes in. Like I was just done. I was like, I've hustled my whole damn life. And here I am. And now it's gone. It's gone. Everything's gone. So then slowly, and I don't know if you've heard, but I, I talk about like you you think that this could happen. So what happens is so the stock market crashes. I knew the VC prints pull out and then all of a sudden, you know, you can't make the mortgage payment, you can't make the car payments, you can't because I'd spent all of our money on this idea. And and then I'll never forget that sound. One morning, I'm up drinking my coffee, and I hear the crank of the tow truck. And it's like, oh, no, uh-uh. And I go running out back, and there they are. They're pulling the car away, right? And I'm in the, I'm jumping to, and I, there's something about that sound of where that click was like, it's really happening. Like, it's, it's really happening. Like, it's all going and I knew it. And then it was, you know, the first car and then the second car. And then we can't make the house payments. So I lied. Um, 
to everyone. I told everyone that we had to move. And I often say, I lied to my children. I told my children that we needed to move closer to where my husband at the time was working. And I say, think of what kind of state you have to be in to lie to the people that love you unconditionally. Like when you really gauge about how many of us lie to people that are family members, it's like, who are you trying to, you know, what, what kind of dupe are you pulling on yourself when these are the people that love you the most and you lie to them? So um, my children never even knew that we were bankrupt, right? I just do this whole faux life that we're going to move. And I was so angry. And so I can't even tell you the rage that was just coming out of me. So I, and I was done. I, I was, I never want to be in business again. Like I literally just stopped everything. I, I can't, I, I just, I couldn't even face anybody in the world. And I definitely couldn't face myself. How long of a period was that? It was about four years. Four years. It was, it was a good two years. Now, of where when I you just, said the market crash, did, I thought you were going to say 2008, 2007, no, 2008, 2001. so 2001. Okay. It was when the stock market crashed. And, that, and it went for another, so in four years, what what yeah. was that four years like? Were you hiding from the world? Yes. Were you depressed yeah. and just like yeah, couldn't I put, get out of bed I, kind I, of thing? I put, yeah, I put disturbed on my earphones and I was just painting, like disturbed. I don't know if you know this music, but it's like, bah, 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 bah. I mean, just like rage heavy metal, right? Yeah. Because it was a match to what was going, it was a vibrational match to what was going on in my inner world. So, and I'm just painting my house and I'm like just faux finishing, you know, I'm just like painting walls and just screaming and just going completely insane. The first time in my life, I think I let myself actually feel what I was doing, you know, what was happening. Yeah. And, and how old are your kids at this point? Uh, let's see. Gosh, my kids were, my boys were probably 12 and 14 and my daughter was around seven. And are they just like, what's going on with mom? Like what, like, did, were they aware of it or was it like they were at school and you would go nuts? And, yeah, they and were they at were, school and, and I you would kind of would nuts. protect them from it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, they had because no look, idea. I know you're, you're kind of like saying something about that you lie to them about the move. There's a flip side of that. I'm yeah. looking at I and I'm going, well, them. this is a mom who's protecting her kids. Do yes. they need to know that, you know, I mean, from, from the outside, it seems like you were like, I'm going to figure this out somehow. And yes. I want to keep, they might not be able to handle it the way I, an adult can handle it or not handle it, yeah. you know? Um, so anyway, go, so you're, you're listening to crazy music, painting the house. I'm, I'm painting the house. And then I, um, I took my daughter, my daughter was acting at the time, and I took her to her children's theater, and I was in a bookstore. No, first I had seen a hip, hypnotist. I went to a hypnotist, and I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just lost. And he said, you know, what your problem is, is you have no meaning in your life. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, I have kids. I believe in God. You know, I mean, that literally is what I said. And he goes, there's a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I think I heard Melissa talking about that. Um, And I read it and that sort of gave me a little head tilt, like, huh, I wonder, I don't have any meaning in my life. So I didn't really do anything after that point. It was more like a, huh, right? Yeah. And then I take my daughter to this children's theater and I see this book by Byron Katie on a bookshelf. And it says, um, 
it says loving what is. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't love this. I'm literally in the darkest time of my life. And it's like she was just piercing at me. And I'm just like, so I get the book. I devour it. Right. Two days later, I sign up for her course. It was a 10 day course, two weeks. I asked them to help me finance it. I took our only, I took like four credit cards, put half the payment on that. And remember I was bankrupt. Okay. I had no money, but I was that desperate. I go 10 days later, I walk out like free, like I, 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 like something clicked. It was that taking responsibility in my life. And then I spent about another four years just sitting at home crying and with my heart being so full and so grateful. I was listening to Gangaji all day long and just in the most Zen place I'd ever been in my entire life. Even like, though you still had nothing. Even though I had nothing, I was completely happy. Yeah. And I knew I didn't need business or want it. Like I was done. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I found what I'd been searching for all along. All of what I thought prior to the second bankruptcy is I thought all of that was going to get me happy, right? Yeah. When I'm successful enough, when I, when I, when I reach this place, then I'm going to be happy. Yeah. Right. This, I just found happiness and I found it inside myself. That's so funny. I had someone on the show a while ago, Natalie Kogan, and she has a company and a book called Happier Now. And same thing. She was she was uh, an immigrant who came here, didn't speak the language, uh, figured it out, did well in school, had about three or four companies, all did well. And she was like, I still don't feel great. Mm-hmm. And so she the, the premise of her company, and I think there's an app, is instead of saying, I'll be happy when, yes. you want to flip it to, I'm happier now because. And it's really just a major theme on this show, gratitude for wherever you are, it. whatever it might be, even if it seems like it's crappy, you know, it feels terrible. It's going like, well, this is, you know, make, make yes. friends with what is, I guess. Yeah. You and know? that's what I did. And yeah. I just, I was happy. Like I had zero desire for anything. I would, I had a little interior design company. I'd work a few hours a week, but I really just sat Really listening to Kirtana and Gangaji and doing all these, you know, oming and just crying. My heart was just so full. Like for the first time in my life, I was just happy. That's so awesome. Yeah. That you really, that you lived it like that. I like that it was a period of time too where there, you know, I think we all hear the story and we're like, okay, you were happy. And then all of a sudden you made all this money, right? It's like, no, it was actually four years of being cool with it. So cool with it. And I really had no desire. I thought, I don't ever want to go back to that. Yeah. So then is that when your brother-in-law asks about... Can, what, can you, you give the story because I because I'll butcher it. But yeah. so what, what did what did he say? It was like around just like around a table, like at, at a holiday or something. And he said, can you trap odor? Yeah. What, what, give we, us that. We were at a Thanksgiving um, dinner and he said, can bathroom odor be trapped? And I'll never forget the feeling. It's like a zing up my arm. It's like everything goes in high def. And I I went, I can do that. He's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I, I work with essential oils. That was my hobby, right? And I was Your like- Your whole life or just like kind of like for a little, a couple yeah, of years? Yeah, probably 15 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was always into natural products. And, uh-huh. um, and I was just like, it just, 
everything just clicked. And I was like, oil floats on water. I mean, it wasn't even this much of rationale. It was literally like, I can do that. I just saw it all. And he kind of was a smart ass, like, really, you think so? And he had tried for a couple of years to, to, to do this. And I was like, oh, no, I know I can do it. And it took me nine months, though. So I go back home. Everybody thought I was crazy. So you know how people always ask people, do you think my idea is good? Yeah. I'm like, just stop that. OK, because it doesn't matter. If it's alive within, inside of you, that's what matters. That's yeah. all. So this idea, I just knew I could make it work. So I was just mixing and mixing and mixing and every, my neighbors would come over and I would ask them, do you got to go to the bathroom? What are you doing? I'm like, I, I, I can stop bathroom motor by trapping it. And everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody, <laughs> even my husband at the time. And then one day, nine months later, my husband walks out of the bathroom because he was testing it every day for me. <laughs> and thank God he had three bowel movements a day. <laughs> um, <laughs> It would have been up to That's me. That's an I essential was, part of a success It's so story. essential. To have a husband who has three bowel movements yes. a day. Well, you have to you test it, that. right? I needed people to test it. I probably could have invented it sooner. But anyway, he walks out of the bathroom one day and he says, oh my God, we're going to be millionaires. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, do you realize what you've done? Like you've literally taken the smell out of shit. Like that's what you've done. And um, I still was in denial and I still didn't even think about it being a business. It was literally like having a child. Yeah. I, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I, this, this works. So then I sent it to a few friends thinking I'm in denial. Like, what, what do you guys think? And they're like, oh my God, it's amazing. Then I just had to build a website and then try to figure out how to make it. Like it was literally just step by step by step by step. I still never, ever, ever dreamed that it would be the size company it is now. Yeah. And I still don't even know how big it can be. You know, it keeps yeah. blowing my mind all the time. So what, how long of a process was it from like that, you know, him saying we're going to be millionaires to it being kind of even a small business, like, was that like a couple of years or was that a couple of months or was that? What it was took it? two years. Two years. Yeah. So it took nine months for me to formulate it. And then about another year for packaging and design and all of that. And I didn't know anything. Yes. I made Barbie clothes. Right. And I sometimes would paint on clothes and go sell them at beauty shops, but I'd never made a product. So people often come to me and they're like, what, what do I need to do? And I'm like, just start asking questions. Like you're going to figure it out. Right. Right. So, and did you attract people that were good yes. on the business side and, and no. that kind of thing? Or no, you no. were the one that was like, nobody was kinda... good on the business side. Yeah. We were horrible. Like <laughs> that's what I say also is that when you have an alive idea, there's something resilient, like a child, right? You think about my life. Right. What happens? It's when you're alive, like you're resilient. You can live through those things. So I, I have a theory that when you have an alive idea, your business is more resilient and you don't have to be good and you can mess up a lot. And it's like the it's like the energetic lane is larger than when you just think, oh, OK, A plus B equals C. And I've got to, you know, do this kind of math proof equation to figuring yeah. it out. Like everything has to be on point. When you have an alive idea, it's just like great. Groovy. You have a big lane of, oh, I messed up. You can't even believe it. Like, it's crazy. Um, so anyway, I um, sold my first product. And then somebody says, you know, uh, do you wholesale? So I doubled my prices so I could half them. I'm like, what does that mean? And then they said, well, you sell it at 50% off so the store can make it. I said, okay. So I do that. And then they said. Good time out. When you said you sold your first product, like 
a bunch of them or no. like just to like an individual? What, what was what was it mm. like to a store? Like what? Walk us through that a little bit. Okay, so um, so I invent the product, and then I knew that it needed to come onto market. It's like a child needs clothes, right? Yeah. It's like I've got to bring this to the world. It's just so selfish. Um, still didn't consciously think I'm running a business. It was like I've got to figure this out. So I designed a logo. I decided it needs to be a bottle. I'd go to Starbucks and I would hold up a bottle and say, "Which bottle do you like?" And they would say. What is it? I go, it doesn't matter. Which bottle? And I would do this sort of focus groups that, you know, that people have told so me later. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I knew if they could afford a $5 bottle of coffee, they could afford an essential oil bathroom freshener. That's sort of my reasoning. So I went and then I, I you know, sort of, you know, I end up with this label and this look and it wasn't anything I wanted. It was literally what would happen in my, my impromptu focus groups at Starbucks. And <laughs> I love um, this. <laughs> So then I have to buy. So I call around to manufacturers. Everybody wanted like 10,000 run, 20,000 run. And I found this one manufacturer that would run a thousand bottles. And I was like, a thousand bottles, man. And remember, I didn't have any money. I was like, well, hell, I guess I could sell them out of the trunk of my car. Like I've done this before. I mean, a thousand bottles isn't that big of a risk, right? So I order my thousand bottles, my ex-husband, my husband at the time, built a website because he was really good at them. He had built like 15 yeah. for me. He's like 20,000 businesses to build them for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he builds a website. I, my friends that had tested the 10, I said, you know, you tested the product, you like it. And they said, yeah. I said, would you mind sharing it with people? So they sent it out to all their friends, right? So we had a few web orders. Um, there was a guy on a radio station and um, my ex-husband and I get on our motorcycle and we drive up and we're like, try this product. So he announces it on the radio. That was our first big break. And we sold maybe, you know, 100, 150 bottles. And then someone said they had a friend that had a store. Would we sell wholesale? And that's when I doubled my prices, Right. And then um, took it down 50% off, took it to the store. And the store owner, um, I'll never forget the first sale. As I walk in, I literally have a black plastic milk crate with my product in it, right? <laughs> Delivering it. And there's this lady at the counter. She had on a mink. We're in Dallas. She had on a mink headband and her Louis Vuitton at the counter. <laughs> and she doesn't even look at me. And Harold says, tell her about your product. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's this bathroom freshener, you know, and you spray it before you go. And and she, she doesn't even look at me and she goes, that's clever. I'll take four. And I'm really? like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, the big ones are the little ones. She goes, the big ones. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> I sold four. <laughs> You sold four to a snooty person. That's even Four to a snooty person. Wouldn't even look at me. I was like, this is great. Like, I'm on to something here. So, um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, the store owner, the next day, another store owner calls and says, my friend Harold bought a product. uh, And can I buy it from my store? And then the next day, another store called. Oh, my God. My friend in the third store was Basket Case. I'll never forget these first stores. Good things for all seasons in the Basket Case. And anyway, they just kept going word of mouth. And people were just buying the product. And then my original store owner, Harold, said, you got to go to market. I said, what's that? He <laughs> said, well, it's this market. You've got to get a rep and you have to go to market. So when people always ask me, like, how do you do it? What I believe is when you have an idea that's alive enough, like the universe will show you the way. Yeah. Like I didn't know how to do any of this, but literally people would go and I'd say, okay, how do you do that? 
And how do you do that? And yeah. how do you do that? That's that's what I, I mean, that's my acting career and this podcast are both are the exact same thing. Yes. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then like, as you go, then people start to go, oh, do this, take this class, go to this, talk to this person and yeah. it, it, whatever. It, and it's the same thing with, with 10,000 no's. It's like, it, it's, it kind of takes on a life of its own. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here across from you. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you and know? you figure it out. Yeah. And um, I love my, um, one of my friends, Marie Forleo talks about the figure outer muscle. And I've called it that too. Or she says something, everything's figure outable. And what I love about that, that's the way I always did. My whole life was just figuring shit out. Right. It's yeah. like, okay, you just figure it out. Yeah. I don't know. And I often tell people when they ask me, a question, how do I get from here to there? I say, when I tell you how to get from A to B, then you're going to need me to get to C and you're going to need me to get to D. But when you figure out how to get from A to B, you're going to know you have it within yourself. And then you keep, you keep building that muscle. Right. And then you figure out her muscle. And then the problem, because the problems are only going to get bigger in business. Right. Right. Or the more successful, I'm sure in your career as well. Yeah. And you've got to have that built up in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That, ex- yeah. that, that outside people can't, teach you. Yeah. I think like I've looked back and I've probably said it on this show. Like there are times when I've, I've looked for someone else. I probably still do it, you know, where you're looking for someone else to be the savior of your own situation and it never works out because they don't have as much skin in the game for you as you do. Nobody does. But by definition, Maybe. nobody, nobody, I always, I'll say that to people. I'm like, nobody cares. When talking to young actors. Nobody cares. Like they, they don't, I mean, they care. Your mom cares, your wife cares, you know, they care, but nobody really, like you've got to figure it out. Yes. Or there's, everybody's got their own, as my, my buddy would say, is like, everybody's in their own boat trying to like, you know, scoop water out of their own boat. And, and so you got to kind of plug up your own holes and figure out how to stay afloat, you know. And you can. Yeah. That's what I want to teach people is you have it within you. Yeah. To to figure it out. Yeah. You know, and you can. I well, mean. it's it, what's it's so cool to hear how it came about because you almost sound as shocked about it as anybody else in a certain way. Like it, it's a, it's a <laughs> really am. great, it's such an inspiring story because because if someone's listening to this, so you could hear it in your voice, you're kind of like yeah. I mean, I had this thing, like it hit me like a zing and bing, bang, boom. And my husband says we make a million dollars, but then I don't know what to do. I got to go to market. Like it, yeah. I love hearing the surprise in your voice and, and the, the milk crate yeah. is awesome. Like it's, it's so not the, the, you know, the version of it that everybody's imagining in their heads or, mm. or that, that when I'm seeing you on interviews, I'm like, Oh, She's going to, she's going to talk. Am I going to have enough good questions? Am I going to be able to, you know, you get here and you're like, she's a human just like you, you know, like she went through shit and she, she figured it out. Yeah. You know, I figured it out. And I believe what the difference is, is that this idea was alive inside of me. Yeah. That's, I just read this quote. um, I asked from Steve Jobs and it was something about, let me read this because it was great. You have to be burning with an idea or a problem or a wrong that you want to write. If you're not passionate enough from the start, you'll never stick it out. Mm. That's what I talk about when I talk about following an alive idea. It's when it when that passion is from within you, that's how you go past the nose, 
right? So if you look at the early part of my life, the first 38 years, it was literally like, I just need to survive, man. I'm just trying to make it. This sounds like a good idea. It was like me grasping on to this, to that, to this. And one could argue and go, oh, you're an amazing entrepreneur because of all your mistakes. Yes. And I was not pointing myself in the right direction at all. Not for the right reasons. I was literally just trying to make money. I wasn't trying to birth and grow this living dynamic organism that's a company that still amazes me like a child. You know, you have children. I saw pictures. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they they amaze you, right? You're just like, I had no idea they'd be this amazing. Yeah, yeah. They they (laughs) shock you. You're like, They shock you. That's the way I feel about the company. Yeah. It's every day. I'm like, wow. Okay, who knew this could happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's... it's, uh, you, you know, I ask people about instinct and I had something I wrote down for you in particular with instinct because it was, uh, what was it? Feeling contraction. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of why I wrote feeling contraction. We got to go. Um, oh, you, oh, you had the, uh, the girls don't poop, which is hysterical. Yes. I'm going to put that in the show notes. If you guys haven't seen it, you got to check it out. It's very funny. Um, but you said something about, uh, that you realized it was, maybe I'm I'm taking it out of context, but something I think to the point of of like you realize that oh wow it's we we gotta we gotta go we gotta go we gotta get this thing going and there was something about like a back order of four you had already sold all your product and you had like four million more requests for it and you couldn't figure them out it reminded me of uh, the beginning of Warby Parker the glass company had the same deal they came out and they came to market. And everybody loved yeah. their whole concept. And all of a sudden they were like, crap, we didn't expect yeah. it to do this well. And, yeah. and they, it, they, I think they said it took them like nine or 10 months and yeah. they were sending emails apologizing and it ended up being the best thing for them because they got relationships. And it sounded like mm. a similar kind of story. So like talk about your, your the intuition and instinct. You've, you've kind of, you've been talking about it all along, but just- when you get a pang, it sounds like you just know inherently what to do and you coach people, that's what they should do. Could, could you tell, just share a little of that? Yeah. So what I often say is, well, I remember the first therapist I had, and this was um, before I started Poopery, but she said, where do you feel that in your body? And I'm like, I literally said, what body? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I laugh. Like, what do you mean? Where do I feel that my body? And she said, is there any kind of feeling in there? I'm like, no. Like, I was living so much just from my neck up, right? From my just head, from my my mind that is so crazy. So so she got me down into my body and I started feeling things in my stomach and my, that's that's the beginning of intuition. What happens is we condition ourselves or we get conditioned through society and through our parents, you know, uh, raising us to not listen to any of those internal responses that we have. For example, molestation, right? Right. I remember when my stepdad had exposed himself and I remember him asking, asking me to come sit in his lap. And I remember that feeling distinctly of going like, no, like everything in my gut dropped, you know? Yeah. And, but I remember walking through this force field almost like resisting me to get over there. And I say that's a very dramatic example of those feelings that we have all the time that we override because if we think we're going to get something right, I thought that I was going to be loved and keep my family together, you know? Um, But we have those, 
those gut feelings of like, oh shit, this isn't good. Right. Yeah. And that's different than fear from expansion. So there's fear from I'm in trouble. This is not good. And then there's also an expansion fear of I'm going to this edge I've never been on before. Right. Yeah. And I, I teach people how to distinguish those and they're very different feelings. You know, uh, an oh shit that something's not right is just like a, it's like a pain down in my lower gut. Like I can just feel like a, oh, like that. It's like, this yeah. isn't good. I feel almost sick to my stomach. And whenever somebody pitches me an idea, even in our company, I sometimes, most of the time, I don't know why. What just recently they pitched me an idea for this campaign. It was my, what well, was my idea. They come back with the idea. Here's how we're going to do it. And I said, I've got to know, I've got a hundred percent know in my gut. And I, I even hold my head still like this, like, cause I know I'm not going to be popular. They yeah. worked all this time on it, but everything in me is saying no. And they all know me enough to go, okay. You know, I can tell they're upset and disappointed. And it ended up a month later, we found out why that I, that I had said no. Right. So you don't often know in the at the time, but you, but you definitely, if you start paying attention to your body, you know when something feels alive. Like our conversation's alive, right? Yeah. I'm energized. I feel excited. Uh, everything kind of goes high def. Yeah. Um, and whenever it's a no, it's like a very big thump. But what we do is we override that because we think I'll just not pay attention to this because I'm going to get something. Yeah. First 38 years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's always hard though. It's always hard though. Cause you, you do, you have that. I always think of it. It's like the matrix. I don't know if you know yes. that movie, oh, yeah. but like they, you, you see the, the cat again and yeah. you're like, wait, something's off. I don't know what it is, but there was just a deja vu. Something's wrong with the, I saw a glitch Yes. and you, you, you get this little pang and then, but then you start to go like, okay, that's a no, stay away from it. Or is that I can get over it, but I have to be aware of it and I have to work through it. And and I think, yeah, most you of the time- You start talking I, yourself out of it, right? Yeah. Well, it just, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very um, complex thing, but I think it can be more simple than everybody realizes. Like yes. you're saying, you didn't know why you're just like, nope, yeah, not going to happen. And then whatever it was, you found out. A month later confirms the gut. It's a, again, Malcolm Gladwell blink. He talks about like, yes. boom, you, you, you meet someone, you have this immediate assessment and then you could spend like five years trying to like figure out who they are. And you come back to the same thing that you thought in the beginning. Yes, that's know? it. And for me, the no doesn't go away though. So you can have an initial no. And then, so if I had said, if I'd not, if I, for example, this last video project, I sat in a couple meetings and I kept feeling no, I kept feeling no, I kept feeling no. That's not going to go away and be okay. It's still going to be in your gut, right? Yeah. The minute you call the game and go, yeah, it's a no, you feel the freedom from that energy. It's like, oh, okay. That's how you know that it was the right decision yeah. is that your energy is freed up and it's cleared. Um. And it's a very, this is like a ninja. Oh, no, I got to talk. I have to talk to a friend of mine who's doing this with a, it's, I don't want to go into details, but it's a big job thing. And yes. there, he's had these, these pangs of no, 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 no. Oh, he and needs to stop. To muscle. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you don't muscle yeah. through that. Yeah. Well, 
okay, I don't muscle through that. Yeah. Because I no, know I know what muscling through it gets me. Neither does he, by the way. And so it's it's interesting to just have this conversation today after yeah. a, a long conversation yesterday about the same thing. Because really, you know, I, my mentor taught me a, a commitment. It's I commit to easy world where everything's easy. And when you think about being in flow and when things right, like it's easy, right? It's like literally like you meet the right person that's on the plane that's next to you that the company, oh, you sell the product. And then the guy says, you need to go to market. What's that? Well, and it's this and it's that. And it's this. Even though I had to work hard, it wasn't a struggle as far as me having to figure it out. It's literally like the universe is laying in front of me. You know, a child cries, you know, you have a baby, a child cries and you're like, what do I do? And there's always someone to go, maybe he's hungry. Okay. Maybe he's hungry. Then you put a bottle, but it's, it's hard work, but you somehow know what to do. There's a flow to it. Yeah. You know, when you grow them. So it's the same thing with your friend's job. That's not going to go away. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. And there may be some lesson he wants to set up for himself, which is fine. Blah, blah, blah. So as long as you go in with open eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You, You have to either go in with open eyes or just say, no, I don't and most do likely anymore. say no. I yeah. say no. And, yeah. and it's hard. I mean, because because everything in your rational mind yeah. thinks this is at stake. And yeah. I mean, I remember once there was a 200, we had signed a $250,000 contract with a group here in LA. And this was Sunday night. I hadn't approved travel. And I'm literally leaned over. We had to, we had to meet on Monday morning for our first meeting. And it was a it was a great group. But anyway, and I'm literally leaned over on my table and I'm calling my executive team on Sunday night and going, I haven't booked travel and we're not going. Like I have a no. I know it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar contract, but it is a no. Like we can't do this. And it was actually to funny or die. And um and we called them Monday morning and said, we're not coming and we're not going to do the contract. And they let us out of the contract. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Well, you're saving everybody time because if oh. you feel that way, it's going to come out. Horrible. Later anyway. It's just it's you know, wasted like, energy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so they were amazing. Thank you so much. You know, they didn't have to let us out of the contract. Yeah. You know how Hollywood is, you yeah. know, right? yeah. I mean, attorneys, um, but they did. And I'm really glad. I don't think it was right for our brand at the time. I yeah. think they're an incredible group, but it just wasn't right. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, I, I, um, we're at an hour mark right now. Oh my now, gosh. And I want to, and I, I would go on for another four. I don't want to monopolize your time. Um, so we will wind it down. Okay. You, you, have, you have free reign to come back here whenever you want. Uh, cause I love this conversation. I love your energy, the, the whole thing, your story. Uh, I got three questions for okay. you. Uh, complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? To you pay attention <laughs> pay attention yeah for me no when i hear a no inside it's like pay attention when somebody says no on the outside it's like pay attention it doesn't mean stop or don't it just means pay attention i and like I, that yeah just give it more energy let it get it more energy what, like. what what's that no about yeah and uh what is your your go-to mantra when everything falls apart as with you it, it sounds like it has multiple times what is there a go-to mantra that you had that that got you out of it the one earlier i commit to easy world where everything's easy just reminding myself when it's not easy it's not right and easy as in when it's not in flow 
when it's struggle and like that the walls keep closing down in front of me, that's the time to go, hold on, should I even be doing this? Why am I doing it? To really go back and reassess. I want to be an easy world. Yeah. Mr. Magoo. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. My brother calls me that sometimes. See? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's that's a compliment. That's my goal. It's a compliment. <laughs> Pretty sure it's not a compliment, but I'm going to take think, it as a compliment I think from it now is. Um, okay. So if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? My advice would be, oh God, what age would I intervene? Gosh. I would intervene as early as I had a conscious thought. I think they say your first conscious thought's at seven. But I would say pay attention to the things in your body and pay attention to all of those things that you think's not right, right, and and honor that. And, and have the courage and the ability to say no and to question, 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 question. Yeah, some sort of internal strength I would give myself. Like, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Susie, thank you so much. This has been awesome for me, not not only for the podcast, just for me personally. It, you're so, you are so alive, really. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You too. Yeah. It's been really fun. Oh. oh, I loved this conversation. I'm all jammed up on what to choose for the takeaways, but I'm going to limit myself to just three, even though there are an embarrassment of riches. Okay. Number one. I love what Susie said about not asking everyone's opinion on your idea if it's alive for you. Just do it and figure it out. That's not to be confused with being pigheaded. She still sought people's opinions professionally on the lines at Starbucks, her focus groups, as she called them, for finding out people's preferences on the packaging of her bottles, etc. But once she had what she calls an alive idea, she just said, boom, watch out. Here I come. And she did it. She figured it out. And you can too. Number two, this is somewhat related to number one, but I think it's her through line really. And it comes from her spoken word presentation I referenced, Alive as Shit, I think it was called. She says, you are the shit. I know, sounds crass, sounds simple, but it is so important. It's the potty mouth version of be the force, Luke. It's inside you. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to keep reading books or get more degrees. You may need to suffer a few more defeats and weather a few more storms, but the gold is inside you, no one else. So don't keep looking for a savior. Just go do it. Number three, while this may sound like the opposite of the previous takeaways, it's not. Here it is. Prayer and surrender and giving over to what is. With all the self-reliance and the assertion that the gold lies within, I hope you could hear what I was fortunate enough to, to see in Susie's eyes. And that was a humility, a humanity, an acknowledgement of her own frailty. And it, it was really apparent in the way she relays the story of losing everything after that second bankruptcy and allowing herself to give up, to quit, to walk away. She allowed herself to lose. And once she did... That was the period that led to her biggest win of all. But really, the win was that she was happy regardless of the fact that she was financially broke. And that, that was really beautiful to me. 
All right, that is it. My huge thanks to Susie's team who sought this interview out. I still have no idea how they found me, but I am forever grateful. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening. And for those of you asking what you can do to help our cause, just share the show with your loved ones or on social media if you feel like it could help them. That's all I want. Maybe someone hears a story like Susie's and they decide not to take their own life or, or to take a chance on an idea that sounds nuts to their family and friends. If this show helps one person, it's a success in my mind. So that's the best way to help us. And if you're not subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, just sign up so you get these episodes on your device every week. If you dug Susie, go check out my past conversations with Melissa and Doug, toy company CEO, Melissa Bernstein. That's in two parts. Happier Now CEO, Natalie Kogan. We spoke about her during this conversation or my chat with Eric Christian Olson. He's an actor and that one is titled Choosing Hope Over Fear. They all have similar themes. Next week, I have Kimmy Culp returning to 10,000 No's to discuss her upcoming podcast launch, which is going to be a big deal. I guarantee you. So check that out. Uh, If you never heard my past episode with Kimmy, I believe it was episode two from way back. Incredible woman. Uh, A reminder, follow me on social media for announcements and promo videos of who's next. Those handles are at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at info at 10,000nos.com if you want to be added to our mailing list. And that is it. Thanks again. And we will see you next Friday.